Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. Today, we're talking leadership, personal development. You guys are going to love my new friend, Rod Gap, who's over in the UK. Rod, it is so great to have you on the podcast. Justin, thanks very much for having me on. It is so cool having you on the show. Um, I had so much fun learning about you, a Royal Marine officer. Uh, you got your degree in ancient history, which we got to ask about that in a minute. And you played water polo. I was a swimmer in, in college. Um, so before we get to all your amazing leadership content, you're the founder of Leadership Forces. You got to share with me, like, how did you decide to go into the military? Like, what, let's go all the way back to that. And then how did you decide to start applying what you learned there in the leadership space? So the reason I joined the military, I guess there's, there's not one kind of defining one. There's probably a series of moments that kind of made me wake up to the fact that I wanted something different. Um, I remember being at school once uh, and I, li- I went to school so it was just, just south of London and um, a girl saying to me, you know, we'll, we'll never lose touch because we'll all see each other commuting into into the city and i remember just thinking i don't want to do that i really don't want to do that i remember just having such an allergic reaction to, to that kind of commuting lifestyle right. every um, day time, same I old thing thought, i yep. wanted something so different in my 20s so um there was kind of that moment um and then when i went through went to university uh started sort of getting into fitness started to kind of really push myself um what i'd always done up until that point was chosen subjects and areas that I enjoyed doing because I think if you enjoy doing something, you'll be good at it. Totally. Agree. And so when it came to kind of thinking about like, what did I want to do in the long term? You know, actually what I really enjoyed doing at university was kind of playing sport, water polo specifically with my friends. Um, the course was kind of a, a good excuse to sort of keep me there. Um, and I had a sort of aspiration to do something very different to be pushed to be challenged i believed in kind of service uh serving my country um and i was keen to take some risk while i was relatively sort of young i think when you're early in your early stages of your career certainly during your 20s when you're not tied down you're not married you don't have children or a mortgage or anything like that i would encourage people to sort of take risk and go and go and live an interesting life and that's what i went and did that's pretty awesome so you you um like I mentioned earlier, you went to school at University of Bristol and got your degree in ancient history. And then you went into the Royal Marines and explain to all of our listeners what that is and, and where that fits in the branches of the military, because we've got listeners from all over the world on this podcast. Sure. So um, the uh, the Royal Marines are a branch of the Royal Navy. It's the, um, I guess, the, the, the soldiering element of the Royal Navy. We go on board we serve on board ships and, and sort of do everything from kind of boarding operations to amphibious assaults going from the uh, sea to the land, but also can, can function pretty much like a, an army unit. So lots of countries, the U.S. in particular, have large scale marine forces, um, and, and this is ours. Uh, all the Royal Marines are commando trained, which means that we have to go through a series of commando tests that haven't changed significantly since the Second World War. Um, and it was that it was that kind of standard that that kind of um, yeah that standard that high bar that I wanted to set for myself and um, 
and I was fortunate enough to get through training and come out the other side. Wow. And I mean, amazing and how awesome that you got to serve the, your country as well. Um, and what I, I, what I loved when I originally read your content was that you took what you learned there and you're basically bringing that to life in a company you founded called Leadership Forces. And um, tell our audience about that. But how did you decide when you got out of the military that that was someplace you wanted to head, that, you, that this was a passion for yourself? So uh, it wasn't something I did straight after leaving. Um, I did three years working in other organizations, two years working for a company called Urenco, uh, doing which effectively did uranium enrichment in the nuclear industry. Right. And I saw you were like um, in project management, yeah, consulting and project leadership during that time, right? Yeah. And I think, I think everyone that leaves the military kind of doesn't know enough about what the outside world looks like to know what they want to do. So I think the first thing to do is kind of, go out there and, and get something interesting and, and sort of stretch your boundaries and go do something very different because it will create a really rich environment for you to learn. Um, and what I realized was that, you know, after a couple of years in the nuclear industry and then a year as a consultant, that most people were promoted into leadership positions because they were good at doing something. So typically your best salesman gets promoted to sales manager and then they get given a team and sort of told to get on with it. And I just thought, hang on a sec, this is, this is just ridiculous. Um, in the military, if we did that, we'd be promoting all the snipers because generally speaking, they're pretty good at soldiering. But the, kill, the skills required to do a job and the skills required to lead people are subtly different. Ah, um, and I just felt that there was a real gap there, that, that, that people weren't being set up for success by their organizations because they were promoted for one reason and then being asked to do a completely different job. And the way I sort of think about leadership now is it's kind of the difference between playing the instrument and conducting the orchestra. But you get, you get promoted for being good at playing the instrument. So the organization reinforces playing the instrument rather than teaching people how to conduct. And so that's what I decided to go out and do, help people. That is such an interesting concept. And I didn't know we were going to go there today. And I, it resonates for me personally because it's something that I've dealt with in even the last couple of months um, where I've seen individuals that are like super good at like a, te- a technology or um, understanding how th- systems work. And the temptation is like to promote them quickly into leading broader groups of people and, or, you know, like, oh, this person's amazing. We should promote them and put them in a large, larger leadership role. And what I found with like in conversations with a couple of colleagues, um, that they're like, no, no, no. I actually really love playing the instrument, right? I really love working with this tool. I, I'm not sure I want to like lead large teams just because I'm really good at playing this instrument or doing this type of technology. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm sure you've seen this. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. And like, I, I, I think that's okay. You know, if you love working on the tools and being a maintenance engineer, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you have to work out what you like doing, what you enjoy doing. And if you want the kind of complexity of sort of, of leading people, um, you know, it's, I, I think it's kind of interesting. Lots of people make a conscious decision to be parents because they, you know, they want to have children. They want to raise a family. Um, but also lots of people don't. And I think the journey into kind of leadership is, is sort of something similar. Um, there are many ways to live your life. There are many ways to have a successful career. There isn't just one way. I think people need to work out what it is they want for themselves um, and then find an organization that's willing to embrace that. 
Yeah. And you know, I think some companies' cultures aren't set up that way. Like I'm thinking back on my career, I worked at this technology company and and someone that might, you mentioned sales earlier, like someone that was a super strong sales leader or like in terms of getting deals done, um, positioning technology or solution and like really blowing out their number may or may not be the best person to lead a sales team. They may be perfect in place, but a lot of cultures tend to I almost intentionally try to move those people up and maybe they shouldn't, maybe they should let them sit in a place where they're really, you know, meeting their strong suit. It's interesting. A hundred percent. I mean, I know plenty of people that have like love sales. They love the thrill of the chase. Uh, they enjoy closing deals. Right. Um, they don't want to manage people and, and they, deal with the team stuff and HR and all of that. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and frankly, they, they, they find leading people a challenge that they don't really want to, to <laughs> right. take. And I think that, that's okay. You've got to create spaces for those people. No question. Okay, that's really cool. Uh, that is a great takeaway um, from this conversation. So I didn't mean to get us off track, though, but I'm really good at doing that sometimes. <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> so, so you're in the world of post-Royal Marines. You know, you're testing out some new roles. You're, you mentioned you did some consulting and some project leadership and whatnot. And then how did you decide to start Leadership Forces and, and take some of the uh, performance principles that you learned and, and build that into a, a company? I really struggled in one role as a consultant. Um, and I remember it being not a good match for my skills. Um, and this was the job I did after I worked in, in, at Urenco. Um, I, I just wasn't particularly good at it. I wasn't particularly happy. Um, and I decided to, to sort of go back into myself and go, what was it you enjoyed doing at Urenco? What was it you enjoyed doing in the military? Um, and fundamentally, it came down to this sort of concept of developing people. I liked helping my Marines to get better. That was it. And I figured that that was the most important thing that a Royal Marines officer was tasked with doing, improving the performance of their guys. Because if you can improve the performance of your people, you can have a knock-on impact into whatever it is you're trying to achieve as an organization. And I felt that that was the most important thing I did. It was also the thing that I enjoyed most. And when I sort of looked at the market for leadership development, and I sort of treated myself almost as if I was a a kind of customer, I found that lots of people had like very relevant experience with a sort of HR background or an occupational psychologist background. And when I spoke to people kind of about their frustrations with that approach, they said, you know, lots of these people, they, they know their stuff, they understand the models, but they haven't done it. And it's one thing talking about the theory of how you have a difficult performance management conversation. It's another one when you've actually done it and you've made the mistakes and you've got it completely wrong and you've learned from that because you've been in those leadership positions. So I decided to approach this very much kind of from a practitioner point of view, but equally kind of reminding people that, look, you know, I've got a good vehicle for understanding how to lead people, but it, but equally, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that I can lead in every single context. Um, I've led young men in demanding and challenging circumstances. Does that mean I know how to lead a group of accountants through a large transformation program? <laughs> right, right. Possibly not. But that's the, that's the sort of stuff that I can learn. And what I try and get down to is these kind of universal principles. Because I think if you can uncover those, if you can, if you can work those out, then your leadership or your approach or your style will work irregardless of the context that you're facing. And that's what I'm 
seeking to try and do. Sure. One of the things I thought was really cool in some of the content uh, that you provide is you talk about the fact that a lot of leadership, quote unquote, you know, coaches, um, they've had a career and then they go out and write a book and then they go speak on like their lessons learned from their perspective and it's all based on their personality and what they went through. But that doesn't necessarily apply to others that have a different background, a different skill set, a different perspective on life. You know, it, it doesn't always translate. And and I find that that's interesting because you do see a lot of that. You know what I mean? Where someone has converted their, you know, their career into uh, a book and a speaking platform and 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 you may or may not relate. A hundred percent. So lots of those books take something complex like leadership and sort of distill it normally into a series of kind of acronyms. You know, they'll say it's, leadership is about kind of being, you know, authentic, um, <laughs> right. courageous and empowering people. Right. And if I think they also, I think those, those are in all I've those read, books. <laughs> and I've read plenty of those books and I, I was like, Oh, hang on a sec. If it's about say, for example, empowering people now, don't get me wrong. 99% of the time, I actually think that that is an appropriate way of leading. You do want to, you know, create a framework for decisions and then push decision making down to the lowest level. And certainly in the military, you do that all the time. That's kind of how the military works. However, if I was to walk across the street with you, um, uh, you know, in the city in which you're living in, and we saw someone get hit by a car, the last thing you want me to do is turn to you and go, Justin, do you think it's a good idea to call the ambulance? <laughs> I mean, technically I'm empowering you, right? Right. <laughs> you can see how that way of leading is totally inappropriate for the context. So again, what you actually, I think what you articulated really well is that you're right. It comes down to the context and then choosing a set of behaviors or choosing how to act, to get the best situation. It's not down to simplistic, uh, definitions for a complex subject. I just don't think that exists. No, no question. Um, so let's talk about what you do bring to life. Like talk about, and, and I know you've referenced your principles, but you've also got a really interesting approach. You call it your spectrums of leadership. Talk about what that is and then how you bring that to life with individuals or groups or organizations. We've talked a little bit about leadership, which I believe is fundamentally all about behavior. It's how you act. It's how you, uh, it's how you behave and it's, the example you set that either inspires people to do their best work or, or, or doesn't. Um, and I kind of think of it in a sort of two-tier approach. I'm going to rattle through this fairly quickly um, because if people are interested, they can go to my blog and sort of read around it. In terms of a two-tier approach, I think of it in terms of kind of foundation. You've got to have these six characteristics or these six ways of behaving. If you don't have these six, you're not getting any further. So you've got to have a sense of self-awareness. You've got to understand your own behavior, your own emotional journey, and the impact that has on other people. You've got to be able to understand the context. If you don't understand yourself. You don't understand the context. How can you choose a way of behaving in order to get the best out of the situation? You've got to be able to create clarity. You've got to be comfortable making decisions. You've got to be willing to hold people to account and be willing to be held to account. This sort of idea of two-way accountability. And you've got to be able to build strong relationships based on trust. If you can't do one of those things, you're kind of limiting yourself, if you know what I mean. Sure. Now, how do you know if you're good at any, like if, on those six? Is there, like, there's probably a spectrum, right? Of I'm really good at one, three, and four, but not the others. I have to, how do you gauge like where you are on the spectrum of those six? 
so on those six, it's more, it's, it's a, perhaps a little bit more kind of binary. You can either kind of do it or, or I think you can't. And I would always encourage, and, and I've done this with organizations before where you craft a sort of 360 um, process to see, uh, you know, to, to, you ask questions around, say, take, take, the, take the question around decisiveness, you know, do I make decisions, you know, or do I, do I, do I continually look to kind of kick the, kick the decision down the road? Um, you know, do I create clarity? Do you know what to ask me for if you need direction and guidance or, or not? There's a variety of kind of ways in which we can craft sort of 360 assessments to give people a sense of where do they sit in that. Um, and then the spectrum things, spectrum thing comes at the sort of next level, which once you've got those kind of six, you can sort of almost move it on. Um, and I've just been sort of thinking about this actually today or kind of refining it, but on one end of the spectrum, you've got one type of way of behaving. And on the other hand, you've got the other other end. So we've already talked about empowerment on one end and then command and control on the other end. Both are appropriate ways of behaving, depending on the kind of leadership context that you're faced. I think leaders need also to be able to kind of balance confidence and humility. So you want people that have a sense that they're comfortable in their own skin and they know what it is they're trying to do. Um, and they have an element of kind of confidence, but equally that doesn't stray into arrogance. So humility kind of is on the other end of that spectrum. You want leaders that are challenging. So, you know, they, they, they push you, they help you fulfill your potential, but equally they know when to sort of pull that challenge off and sort of move down the other end of the spectrum, which is kind of being supportive. Um, the other ones are you need people with sort of standards and process, as well as people who are creative and innovative. That's another spectrum. Big picture and in the detail is another spectrum. And then empathetic and callous. And maybe not callous is the right word, but detached. So most people would say that in order to lead people, you need to be a really empathetic person. I'm like, again, right, most of the time I agree with that. But if you're leading an organization of 100,000 people and you're perhaps facing the challenge that we are currently facing now, in order to save the organization of 100,000, you may need to make 20,000 of them redundant. Now, that requires a severely detached way of thinking because if you could only think about, you know, 20,000 mortgages that aren't going to get paid, you run the risk of delaying decisions, trying to, you know, hoping that things are going to turn around and you fail to take decisive action when it needs to be taken and 100,000 mortgages fail to get paid because the company goes bust. That's again, and that's slightly controversial, but I do think there is an element of that to it. Yeah, no question. And it's hard for some, that's a hard one for some people and easy for others. It's really interesting. I found in that space, it's usually people aren't in the middle. <laughs> no, no. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the last one is kind of to what extent do you make decisions based on data or how good are you at trusting your intuition and judgment? That's interesting. And that's again, totally I think a lot of people are. A lot of people are sort of seeking to look for data and sometimes you need to get them to a sense of like, look, what's your gut telling you about right. that? Well, my gut, my intuition is saying that I don't trust this person. I'm like, right, well, you don't need any more data. If you intuitively don't trust this individual, you don't want to be involved with them. You know, these are kind of the conversations that I sort of get into because people, I think, look for more and more data in order to support decision-making I think that's a valid thing to do, but I think understanding the limits of it and understanding 
where you need to be comfortable making using your intuition is uh, is again a fine line. Sure. So I, I love the content um, and totally resonates. Uh, and I, I shared with you before we hit record. I mean, I just am passionate about these topics. Um, how did you know you had something though? You, when you decided to start this, how did you know it was going to work? You know, was there a point? I mean, this has been you know you're in your fifth year now. Um, I mean, did, when did you know? Okay, that's not a cool idea, and I, I've learned a lot from the Royal Marines, and it, but now it's coming to life. I'm getting clients. You know, I, what what did that look like? Well, it's funny you say that. <laughs> I, I think if I knew all the risks I was taking, I wouldn't have done it. I think I was a little bit naive. Sure, but I think what I was good at was realizing that um, it always comes down to you. And I was like, you know, I'm having lots of conversations with people and they like what I do and they're interested, but they're not putting their hand in their pocket to kind of pay for it. And I, I just, I guess through kind of trial and error sort of worked out that, you know, if someone doesn't understand what you do in the kind of first minute or two, then you've probably lost them. Um, you know, if you are, you know, if you're, if you're not kind of out there kind of looking for clients, what are you doing that's kind of valuable and useful? Um, and I found the process of kind of writing, of kind of sharing my ideas to be really, really helpful. And I went through a period of writing kind of one article a week. I don't do it quite at that sort of rate now because I've got more clients uh, to sort of manage. But, you know, one article a week where I sort of talk about something like, for example, you know, delegation. No one gets taught how to delegate to people. It's one of the most important so management true. and leadership you can, skills. You can't teach and, that. <laughs> and, yeah. And you know, people are just sort of left to kind of get on with it. And I'm like, well, I, I would argue that you can teach people how to do that, you know, provided you give them some parameters, some principles to sort of think about. And so I would write an article on that. How would I teach someone how to delegate? You know, what does a clear, articulate vision for an organization look like? And how do you balance that with, with sort of keeping an eye out for opportunities um, that, that can potentially grow your business or your organization exponentially? Like those are sort of some of the questions I start to kind of think about. Um, and, and yeah, I'll be really honest with you. I've done a little bit of contract work. Some of it's kind of been retained here and there for sort of a few days a week that allowed me to kind of cover my fixed costs. And I just, I, I'm definitely not an accountant, you know, an accounting minded strong for figures kind of individual, but sort of in the back of my head, I knew how much do I need in order to kind of live off. Um, and if I could, you know, were the rates kind of good enough that would allow me to, you know, generate, you know, a month's worth of costs inside a couple of days uh, in order to sort of allow me to kind of take the pressure off, really. And I just sort of felt that they were. Um, and yeah, five years later, through luck and through some good conversations and some strong networks, I, I sort of stayed alive. That's I really cool. Got, Children with full bellies. So um, <laughs> something is funny going on. Well, as we get towards the end here, you've worked with a lot of organizations, a lot of groups, a lot of individuals. Like in terms of where we sit today, what would be one or two of the biggest trends you're seeing? You know, one or two of the biggest areas of professional development need or leadership development need. Um, 
gaps, you know, what would be, as you've seen, you've worked with a lot of people, so you have a sense for, you know, of all the things I see here, the top one or two things that right now people really need to focus in on or work on in the areas that you help others with. What does that look like? I think the probably the latest thing that I've been supporting people with is um, increasing the number of feedback loops that they that they go through. So if you think about it, in most organizations, right, you have a, typically quite a painful process of a manager uh, taking someone through a kind of feedback annual appraisal process. This is what you're doing well. This is what you're not doing well. And when I think about that, I think about just generally speaking how totally ineffective it is. Um, I encourage organizations to get people to spend time um, reflecting on what did they plan to do this week? What did they actually deliver? Where was there a gap? What has surprised them? What have they learned? Yeah. What are they going to do differently? Mm. Because if you think about the, the sort of typical appraisal process, that's one one feedback loop every 12 months, right. one a year. <laughs> Once a year. <laughs> I encourage people, it's just nothing, right? right? I encourage people to do it kind of 52 times a year, there or thereabouts. And if you think about like, you know, lots of your listeners will be parents. You don't take your children through a kind of, you know, performance management process where you sit them down and kind of have this conversation once a year with them. You give them feedback Real time. all the time. That's positive. Right. Yeah, exactly. Positive, you know, yeah. feedback for improvement, things that they kind of need to work on. And it's far likely to be more effective than maybe, you know, 16 feedback loops over the course of their time with you. Of course it is. And so that's something that I think is really practical, easy to take away and sort of like execute tomorrow. You know, you take those questions and you say, look, you're, we're going to have one-to-one catch-ups. These are the things I want to talk to you about. What did you plan to do? What, do you, what, you know, what did you plan to do? What are you working on? What did you actually do? What got in the way? What surprised you? What have you learned? What are you going to do differently? You start to get people into that rhythm, it's going to make a big impact. Yeah, if you just took that, what you just said there, those couple of questions and use that in a bi-weekly one-to-one with your team member, that would be huge. I mean, if people yeah, just did massive. that, it'd be small change, but it'd be huge. Great, great conversation. Massive. And I think, you know, the, the key with this stuff is it, it's self-development. The clue is in the title, you know, and I think that, I think that there's something that can be learned from often it's, it's kind of interesting. It's often it's sort of second, second generation migrant families. They often want their children to become, you know, doctors or lawyers or accountants. And when you think about like, why is that? Why do they encourage their children to do that? It's because they've learned that if the government falls apart, if everything goes to pot, no one can take what you know away from you. A doctor always going to be valuable, always going to be able to make money or be employable or be useful to society as a doctor. And I think it's that kind of way. I think I would encourage more people to have that kind of way of thinking that your development isn't the responsibility of your organization. It's not about training. It's not about investment in, in, yeah, training programs or even, or even coaches like me, dare I say it. It's actually about yourself. It's about how you apply the lessons that you've learned or how you would look at other people and take the best of what others have figured out and, and apply it to, to your current role. That's what's going to see you be successful. Wow. I love that. Okay. So we could go on for hours and uh, which I love. So <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> <laughs> I love your content, Rod. So share with our audience where they can find you, how they can connect with you, how they can get you to come speak, how they can take part in your leadership programs, et cetera. Sure. So um, 
My, uh, so my name, one of the beauties of having such a unique name, Roderick. Roderick, yeah. Yep. Easy to find. Um, so uh, two I'm P's. on LinkedIn. I'm, yep. a, I'm indeed two P's. I'm an open connector um, on LinkedIn. So just just hit me up, and I'll I'll always I'll always uh, say yes. Um, I write as regularly as I can on a blog, leadershipforces.com, um, about things relating to leadership. Um, but LinkedIn, if you want to get in touch with me, that's probably the best way to do it. And, you know, I'll, I'll always reply. I, I can't leave a message there unreplied. I'll always come back to someone and say, you know, thank you for any feedback that you have on the podcast. That's always gratefully received. I love it. Well, I love your content. I've, I've watched some of your video videos as well. Uh, you've got such great material. I can't wait to see you put this together into something that's publishable, shareable, you know, can put it out and uh, look forward to having you back on the podcast, man. It's been great. Yeah, keen to do it. Thanks very much, Justin. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender.